Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today and today on the show we're going to be talking a little about alfalfa insects. But if you have anything you'd like to discuss that's happening on your farm or if you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call at any point throughout the show. Our phone lines are going to be open today all throughout the show. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter if you would like, agphd media, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. All right, let's start with this. When it comes to alfalfa insects, we'd just encourage you, scout your fields all the time. The the frustrating thing for me is I get a lot of phone calls from farmers who go, my alfalfa is not regrowing very well. And we go out there, take a look at it, and it's loaded with bugs. It's like, did you scout before you cut the alfalfa? Did you scout a week before you cut the alfalfa? So many of the insecticides, they have what's called a pre, well, all the insecticides have what's called a pre-harvest interval. So you have to spray so many days before cutting. Now you can look on the label of the insecticide you want to use, but just as an example here, a lot of the products will say seven days, but Mustang Max in alfalfa says three days. So what I'm trying to tell you here is if you say, well, look, I don't like Mustang Max. I don't know why you wouldn't, but just say, oh, I've got whatever, Asana or something else on hand. I want to use that particular insecticide. If it says seven days, I'd be scouting my alfalfa field about nine days in advance. Okay. And that way I could spray on the eighth day and then I'm still good to go on this seven day pre-harvest interval thing. So that that's our best piece of advice keep scouting all the time and then make sure that when you're going to spray you're doing it in advance rather than after you've seen this big problem out there because here's the great thing it's three dollars an acre for most of these pyrethroid insecticides three bucks that's it and also you can tank mix these insecticides with just about anything else if you want to spray a herbicide that's no problem how about a fungicide no issue. How about some foliar fertilizer? Maybe a natural or biological product. No issues at all. I mean, the only thing I would tell you, if you start mixing all that stuff together, you want to do a jar test first, make sure it's going to mix well and and, and you don't have any any problems with that, that mix getting, well, becoming a sludge or anything like that. But insecticide is so easy to mix with other stuff, doesn't really cause a problem. Now, the other big question that we fielded this winter and, and all through the spring has been, all right, Laura's band's gone. How do I replace it? Look, I'm sad, too, that we don't have Laura's band anymore because it was, did you know, even like 10, 12 years ago is the first time it even became a restricted-use pesticide. Like 15 years ago, it was not even a restricted-use pesticide. Laura's band what was actually a fairly safe option compared to many of the other insecticides, but whatever, it's gone. So you can't be using Lorsban out there. How do you replace it? So in most crops, we talk about, all right, dimethoate, that's a real good option to replace Lorsban. doesn't have the gassing effect that Lorsban does, but it controls a similar pest spectrum, and it's in the same chemical family, organophosphate. There's also transform that will just kill aphids. We've got plenty of other products too that are out there it's just unfortunately every product that i've now mentioned and every product i could mention 
they're all more expensive than those cheap pyrethroids. So personally, I like spending $3 an acre or less. That's fun. Well, I don't want to spend anything, but my point is, if I'm going to spend some money, I want it to be as least cost, as low cost as possible. All right, uh, Darren, anything else as we start the show? Otherwise, we're going to need to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, well, I... I well, I apparently had Darren muted there. So anyway, that's, we'll turn his surprise. mic back on. But uh, <laughs> but but anyway, yeah, Darren had nothing else other than let's go right to mailbag. So what do you got for a first question? All right. Uh, got a couple of things here first. Um, this is Not from, all at once here. That's <laughs> from, from Ken and Connie. They said, all right, we planted corn that has Roundup and Liberty Tolerance. We've got heavy clay soils here in Kentucky, okay. and we've had abundant rain <laughs> since last fall. Yep. Looking for a herbicide that we can use that does more than just burn down existing reeds, weeds. We want to have residual control. Okay. What herbicides or products should we be looking at to try to get the most length out of the control? Control of what? grass and broadleaves. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Roundup, Liberty, no residual. Even Status, Dicamba, um, very, very little residual. So if you want residual, you're probably looking in corn at one of two things, or even both, a Group 15 and an HPPD. So with a Group 15, I don't care what it is. There are all kinds of premixes that have Group 15s in there, but, I mean, the straight goods, we're talking about Zidua, Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Dual. And again, lots of premixes have one of those active ingredients. In terms of HPPD, the straight goods would be Callisto, Loudus, Impact, Armazon. But here again, there are all kinds of premixes that contain an HPPD. So the group 15s are great on grass. The HPPDs are great on broadleaves. Now, HPPDs have a little grass activity. Group 15s have a little broadleaf activity. But I'm just trying to say it all kind of depends on what your weed spectrum is in terms of which direction you go. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. A couple of comments here that came in from Robert. He said, first of all, uh, you guys were talking about tillage direction as uh, as it pertains to your rows or one direction. Do you do tillage with the rows or do you do kitty corner across or so forth? He said, I, I was doing tillage across with cotton stalks and uh, running a chisel plow at a 45-degree angle. And I know you're going to have point rows no matter what you do in some of these rough-shaped fields, but I still had really good yields. But one thing that my dad always said, according to Robert here, he said, my dad always said if you had an uneven stand in any crop, it was like having another weed stripping yield away from the neighboring plants. That even if that second plant stole, say, 20% of the available nutrients, the first plant needed to get to maximum yield, uh, the yield of both plants ended up being reduced. Hey, thanks, Robert. We appreciate that. We share your uh, your concern about having uneven stands out there. No doubt about that. We definitely don't want it. We're going to be talking about alfalfa insects on today's Ag PhD show and taking your calls and questions, too. Stay tuned. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. 
Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Farmers everywhere are discovering Germinator closing wheels. Dick from Iowa says, in every case, our germination rate was better than expected. Total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us anytime, radio at agphd.com. If you got something going on, on the farm you want to talk about, we would love to discuss that with you. Well, today's discussion uh, on the show revolves around alfalfa insects. And when we think about bugs, one of the companies I always think about as over the years has been FMC. They've had some great insecticide products, and and uh, in recent years now, fungicides and and herbicides have been a bigger part of their portfolio. But uh, we turn to Kirk Sager here, uh, who works with FMC out in the state of Washington, to discuss bugs and alfalfa. Kirk, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on today, gentlemen. You know, we, we, for many years here, have been looking at pyrethroid, pyrethroid, pyrethroid over and over again. And there are some good ones out there, but uh, it's been kind of fun to see some different modes of action coming out, too. And farmers actually have got some choices here they may not be aware of. So what, what's FMC been working on, Kirk, when it comes to alfalfa insects? So uh, one of our biggest products for alfalfa insects, aside from Mustang Max and the and the pyrethroids has been steward insecticide for control of alfalfa weevil. And where we've lost chlorpyrifos this year in our alfalfa, our alfalfa um, and in places where we've, as you said, to start off with pyrethroid, 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 pyrethroids aren't working as well as they have in the past, if not if they're working at all. Um, and steward brings a new novel mode of action to alfalfa weevil control and is an absolute hammer for alfalfa weevil. Well, it's certainly been a challenge this year. Boy, there have been a lot of alfalfa weevil larvae out there in the early scouting. Uh, now, I'm assuming you're trying to catch them in the larvae stage, if at all possible. How does the game change if they end up getting to that adult weevil stage? Are they tougher to get? So at, at present, there's really not a lot of options for adult weevil control. So we have to be on top of our game with the larvae. If they make it to adult, we sort of kicked it down to the next egg lay cycle, whether that's the next cutting or the next year, depending on where you're at. Um, so we really have to scout and uh, work harder to 
be preventative on those larval stages. You know, ignore the adults as they come in and focus on the larva. Talk to us a little bit about Steward. We we know uh, about your basic pyrethroids. Mustang Max has certainly been a widely used and, and very popular product. Uh, when it comes to Steward, how does it really work on the bug, and uh, how do we get the best control? I, I'm assuming coverage is super important on this one. Is timing uh, a big deal, too? So timing's big, and, and you hit the nail on the head with coverage. Um, it is a stomach, essentially a feeding poison, so they have to eat it on the foliage in consumer for it to be effective. So coverage is essential. You know, it comes to gallonage. It comes to using the quality organosilicone surfactant, you know, um, and it comes down to timing. We, we want to try and target the biggest population we've got and not wait until they're all giant and we may miss them because they pupate two days before we can get the sprayer out there. Um, so we want to really monitor that population. I tell most of my guys is, we want to spray when the largest portion of our population is at that second instar. That gives you a you know, a few of the bigger ones, a few of the smaller ones, but it gives us that leeway so that we don't miss them and let them get to adult. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. And with the value of this year's hay crop, it's super important. Now, getting control down to the bottom. I know on some of the fungicides, we like to see a little bit of regrowth, and then that's a great time to, to be spraying. What do you say with the alfalfa weevil larvae? If you see them, do you get out there right away, or do you say, you know what, we better just cut right now and then come back when we can get down to the ground just a little better? So as this is a feeding thing, we have to have alfalfa out there to treat it with the, the steward and allow them to feed on it. So if we go out there to bare ground or short alfalfa, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. We want as much growth as we can before that weevil population gets out of hand. And that's where scouting helps. So we don't want to try and use the swather, for lack of a better term, as our insect control. We want to scout the population and treat the population um, and if it exceeds thresholds, treat. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great way to start the show off. We're talking alfalfa insects today, and we've been talking about a new tool in the tool belt that you may not have used yet. Uh, check out Steward. Talk to your, your local providers about that one, too. Uh, Kirk, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thanks for the time, gentlemen. You bet. Uh, We've got our friend Trevor Israel on right now with Valent. And uh, Trevor, you know, it's one thing when you can spray pesticides. We get so many questions from organic growers. Okay, hey, I'm organic, uh, and alfalfa insects can still be a challenge for me. What can the organic guys do? Hi, Darren. <clears throat> Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, there's a, a few options from Valent. Um, and, yeah, like you said, some of the uh, issues organic growers run into is uh, a lot. Oftentimes, they uh, look to some different methods, um, and the and insecticidal sprays are often at the end. And by then, it's uh, often is a tool of last resort, and the pests have become uh, almost overwhelming. And then, but the uh, organically approved insecticides are often, and most insecticides, as a matter of fact, work better in the early uh, stages of development. So uh, that's kind of a one thing to keep in mind is to target some of these earlier stages when uh, thinking about uh, uh, BT products that are uh, foliar applied like Dipel or Zentari, um, those are much more active on those earlier instars of the, uh, of the, of the worms, whether it be cutworms or uh, army worms, um, much, much more activity when you target those uh, earlier life stages. So 
Um, one thing to keep in mind, um, and also uh, for the weevils, we have a uh, pyganic, which is uh, uh, group three. It's a um, uh, same activity as pyrethroids, but it's the organic. It's the naturally derived uh, active ingredient from the pyrethrum, the chrysanthemum plants. And that's the uh, still group 3A, but again, much, much higher activity uh, earlier in the life stages of those uh, insects. Yeah, there are options out there. And I, I thought one thing that Kirk had mentioned earlier, too, is you can't use the swather as your insect control. It's not going to kill them. You're just kicking the can down the road, and now they're going to be impacting a plant that's much smaller, a lot less foliage, and you're going to have more issues. So here you go. If you're in a situation where you can't use insecticides, there are some pretty nice choices out there. And some of these products you mentioned have been on the market for a while, Trevor, and have had some good success. You're right. Dipel is uh, is a popular brand, and it's been around um, for years, at the, over 50 years, I believe. Dipel and Pyganic have been around for decades. Um, and Zintari is a is a newer strain of of, of BT, um, which means it has a different uh, profile of those crystal toxins, those crytoxins, and that one is actually formulated better for armyworms. Um, or even in diamondback moths and, and other crops. So it's a different balance, but still um, a mixture. Each have four different crystal toxins in it and a different ratio of that to really optimize that activity on whether it be dipel, which is kind of broad spectrum on all lepidopteran pests, uh, loopers or, um, or cutworms, or if you have Zentari, if you need to target some uh, armyworm species. Yeah, and I think that gets you back to the the point of scouting. And I know we talk a lot about different tools that you need to have as farmers, having a good sweep net and spending a little time out there scouting when you have time to treat. And and here's the other thing, the the timing of your scouting. Don't wait until the day before you're going to cut. Uh, you got to be out there a little bit sooner in case you see some bugs and you still have time to treat. And whether you're in conventional production or you're in organic production, there, there are some different things you can do to fight off some of these tough bugs in alfalfa. You don't have to take those yield losses and profit losses this year. Uh, we're talking with Trevor Israel here with Valent. Trevor, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, bringing up these different solutions. Uh, I know uh, growers really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Darren. Take care. You bet. We're going to talk about alfalfa insects on our show today, and we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, just after this next break, we're going to dive in, talk a little herbicide here, because uh, we've got a caller who wants to talk just a little bit about some of the early post options in soybeans. If you're thinking about that, uh, you want to stay tuned. Uh, and we'll continue the discussion on alfalfa insects as well as we get going. We've hit a little bit more on alfalfa weevils, uh, just a little bit there on armyworms, but there are several other bugs we want to get to too. So stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. Its easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine. Weather or not, relentless. That's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And this is exactly how Robert from Illinois wants to uh, communicate with us by phone. Robert, how are you doing today? Doing great. We were getting ready to head to the field to start spraying early posts on beans. And I watched with interest your last TV episode where you were dealing with that question. And uh, Brian, I believe, recommended Warrant Plus or Anthem Max. Um, our co-op dealer... We were set up to do prefix. I was wondering whether there's a problem with whether Brian just didn't like prefix, whether there's a problem we're unaware of, or or uh, well, there there are a lot of pro- there are a lot of products out there, Robert. All right, yep. Brian, I'll let you let you go. Yeah, I, I it was a little bit oversight, but I, I would say like for our area, Warrant Ultra and Anthem Max are just a little bit cheaper, but prefix is 
fairly similar money, and it depends Basically, on what talking kind of dual and Flexstar, right. right? And with Warrant Ultra, we're talking Warrant and Flexstar. So I like Warrant just a little better because it activates with less moisture, and it's a little bit better on the small seeded broadleaves. But when you have it together with the Flexstar. It's not that big a deal. So, I mean, honestly, if you put Prefix side-by-side with Warrant Ultra in your situation, I doubt you'd be able to tell the difference. So, nope, I'm I'm just fine using Prefix. It's, to Darren's point, there there are a lot of products we could mention. Some, we, we try to keep things fairly simple, so we usually just talk about a couple in a lot of our shows, but uh, probably could have gone into a little more detail on that. So, yep, we have no problem if you want to use Prefix. It'll work great. So, a quick follow-up on that. We're in 30-inch row beans. We're needing some uh, – we're clean to this point. We essentially did – well, we're very close to the three pre's, so we're clean right now. Great. Um, we got some volunteer corn. We're going we're gonna to put some – the plan is to put some clethodim in the mix. Okay. Um, and bump the rate on that to, to mm-hmm. compensate for any Perfect. antagonism. Yep. And not aware of that, of that issue. Uh, would, would you be in favor of – it looks like in our area, two pints to two and a half pints is the range on the rate. Um, the um, would you would you push it to the high side of whatever the label is, or okay. with thirty inch rows? All right. So here's our our biggest concern. It's that Flexstar component or Femesophen, If any of our listeners are familiar with the active ingredient, with that you already have a ten month rotational restriction to corn. If for whatever reason, let's say things turn dry the rest of the summer, I I worry about it a little bit when you start to push the rate. Now, are you using a labeled rate? Absolutely. So it's I'm not like real concerned. And you're also spraying now, so it's it's pretty early. And I mean, ten months from today would be April one. So we're good. In your we're, area, we're, we're in, I'm fine. We're in Illinois versus uh, South Dakota. Exactly. Kind of a rain. Yep, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. So in my area in South Dakota, would I go that high rate? Absolutely not. But in your area, it's probably going to be just fine. Um, Slipping some NIS in that be an issue or any benefit? Uh, Yes, it'll definitely be of a little bit of benefit. I would say this, all group 15s, whether it's dual, warrant, Zidua, any of them, they all have some oils in there. So that's why Typically, we want to throw crop oil together with a volunteer corn herbicide. But when you have a group 15 that's in the mix, you can either back off the crop oil and cut the rate, or you can switch to non-ionic surfactant. Now, it's early in the season. I assume you've had wetter and cooler conditions. So, I mean, it's not like it's the middle of the summer where it's 90 degrees and not a lot of humidity. So what I'm saying is the volunteer corn should die fairly easily, and it's probably not super necessary to go crop oil. Uh, But anyway, if it was a little bit later and it had been hot and dry, I would tell you, no, I'd probably use a little crop oil. Just keep the rate down. Oh, and then I didn't really answer your question before. Would I go with the high rate or the low rate on the prefix? There's not a lot of difference there. Just depends on if you want a little more residual or a little bit less. So either either way you go, it, it's going to work fairly well. And I'm glad you're spraying now while it's still clean to hopefully keep it clean. Is the the active the permethacin? Um, yep. Is it about as long a lasting residual as we'd have access to for broadleaves? Yes. Okay, that's all. I thought I heard. My son's going to think I'm pretty smart since we covered, you know, your answers agree with my answers. And so that, that, that indicates you're really smart. I've, I've learned most of this listening to you. So uh, thanks. I, Appreciate I'll, it. I'll, 
and let I'll let you go. Thank you very much. You've been yep. very helpful. Yeah, yep, thanks. thanks. Good luck. Yeah, I was just going to say it, the only product we've got that has a longer residual that we use in soybeans would be Authority or Spartan, but that's pre-emerge only. Right. The half-life right. on that product is 280 days. So it's the longest product I, I know that we deal with at all. I don't think anything I've got that I could consider spraying on my corn and soybean farm would have a longer residual than that. But yes, the Femesifen got a nice long residual. Now, now, that doesn't mean you're going to have perfect control, but it does mean right. there will be something out there to at least help suppress the weeds. And so you shouldn't have lots of weeds coming later in the season. But, yeah, you just never know how, how things pan out. There will probably still, unfortunately, be a few weeds, but it shouldn't be too bad. Hey, thanks for the call, Robert. Yep. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. You bet. Let's head down to Nebraska. We're talking alfalfa insects, and we've got Dr. Bob Wright on with University of Nebraska. Bob, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. All right. We've had a lot of alfalfa weevil larvae in the alfalfa up here. How about Nebraska? What have you guys seen out in the field so far? Oh, we've had some hot spots, and we had a lot of problems last year, too. Uh, we had relatively mild winter, and so the alfalfa weevil survived pretty well, I think, in Nebraska. You know, when we look at some of the different options we have for control, Lohr's ban is gone now. Uh, do you have trouble killing them with pyrethroids, or, or what are guys doing down there? No, that's mostly what we're using, and uh, we've gotten pretty good feedback. We are seeing some resistance to pyrethroids in the far west and the deep south, but we haven't seen that yet in, in Nebraska or surrounding states. But that's a concern because... Most of the options people would use for alfalfa weevil would be a pyrethroid because of cost, and we don't want to repeatedly use the same product, so that's that's a concern. You know, when you think about alfalfa, I mean, to me, obviously, the alfalfa weevil larvae is a, a major first cutting, maybe even second cutting problem. Uh, what are some of the other bugs that you're on the lookout for this year? Over this time of year, the other thing in alfalfa, we're starting to see some aphids, primarily pea aphids, but some other aphids too. Uh, pea aphids are relatively less damaging compared to some other ones, and typically as it starts getting warmer, they don't do as well, so they're more of an early season pest, but that is something to watch for. Sure, sure, yeah. There are a lot of different types of aphids. How do you tell if you've got a pea aphid versus a different type? Oh, a lot of it's based on color and a little bit on size. You probably need a hand lens to see some of the characteristics or magnifying lens. Uh, but there's four different alfalfa aphids we see in the Midwest. Uh, a couple of them are pretty distinctive. The cowpea aphid is almost black. The spotted alfalfa aphid is, is spotted. And the blue alfalfa aphid is pretty closely related to pea aphid, but it's a little darker in color blue rather than the green. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of lot of things to watch out for. And I, I would say this for, for anyone listening today, and, and we're super happy to have Bob Wright on right now. We always get great stuff from Bob. But uh, did, did you realize there are that many different types of aphids out there? So do take a look and, and let your agronomist know as you're, you're dealing with different ones out there. Uh, how about, Bob, you know, as you get a little bit later in the season, I, I, I hate seeing hopper burn out there, but but we do quite often. Is there anything going on with leaf hoppers or, or anything different there we need to be aware of? Well, you know, those don't overwinter in the in the Midwest. Uh, they overwinter in the South. So we just try to, I try to watch what I'm seeing from states to the south of us in terms of early warning. 
although they can appear pretty suddenly because they fly up and get transported in some of the southerly breezes. And so the adults can drop out of the the uh, the air and uh, infest a field pretty quickly. So that's something to watch for, keep an eye on. Yeah, certainly a lot of bugs to be watching for, so we encourage everybody to keep scouting all throughout the season. Uh, Bob, great stuff again. We really appreciate having you on again. This is Dr. Bob Wright down at University of Nebraska. Okay, you're welcome. Talking alfalfa insects on today's show, and we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When you pull your side dress bar out of the shed, do you dread the time and expense of replacing worn colders and bearings? There's a better way. Hi, Greg Souter, 360 Yield Center. 360 Wide Drop for side dress bars is a quick, low-cost upgrade that cuts maintenance costs. Plus, you're likely to get a yield boost from moving nitrogen from the middle of the row to the root zone. Save time, money, and boost yield potential with 360 Wide Drop side dress. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts you gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking alfalfa insects, but we will take any of your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to South Dakota State University. we got Adam Varenhorst with us to talk a little about alfalfa insects. How's it going, Adam? Good, good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. We have had some spots of insect issues in alfalfa already this year. I've talked to a number of different farmers that said they were treating already. Uh, what are you seeing? Is this a statewide problem or is it kind of spotty? Um, it's pretty much going to be statewide at this point in the season. We are a little behind on schedule, just like we were last year. And a lot of that has to do with our temperatures we've had this spring. It's been a little chilly. Um but uh, pests we're really watching for in alfalfa right now are alfalfa weevils and pea aphids. And uh, they are out there, and it's just at this point it's important to scout to make sure we don't get field issues like we saw last year where alfalfa weevils decimated the, a cutting. So something to really watch for. Now one question that I've got, and you're in an interesting state because the eastern side of South Dakota typically has more rainfall. Some areas have had way too much rainfall already. Uh, but then you go west in South Dakota, and I know there are a lot of times, I'd say more times than not, it's pretty dry out there. Are there different bugs that you're worried about? Do grasshoppers become the big concern or something else? Uh, that's a very good point. We do have a lot of variation in South Dakota, but at this point in the season, uh, what we're seeing in both east and western parts of the state are still just uh, primarily the alfalfa weevil. That's the one we really worry about this time of the year. As things progress, though, grasshoppers do become a very big issue, especially as we head west. And this year uh, is uh, potentially going to be a major problem for us because we had some areas with grasshopper populations that were quite large last year and so there's a good potential we had a warm fall with a late frost and so that can really drive those populations up for the following year yeah year on year that that can be a challenge with bugs that are going to overwinter here we were just talking with bob wright down at university of nebraska about leaf hoppers and how uh, they they can blow up we've certainly had a lot of storms and a lot of big fronts moving through most of them i think have come out of the west or southwest but uh, if we get a good southerly wind and a big storm coming up from the south uh, how early do we need to start watching out for leaf hoppers um, typically, we start really watching for those in June. Uh, and one of the nice things, some of our neighbors to the south will start seeing them much sooner than us. But uh, we can kind of use them as our uh, indicator for what things are going to look like this year. So typically, we will listen and then uh, have meetings with our uh, colleagues that are down in the states just south of us. And uh, they keep us up to date on which issues they're seeing. But uh, we'll we'll get them eventually, but typically uh, they're going to be in sometime in mid to late June uh, for most of the state. And a year like this where we've been a little bit cooler, uh, they might even be a little bit later. But uh, we were out scouting after that derecho because we were concerned that maybe some of those strong winds uh, pulled them from some of our neighbors to the south. But it doesn't seem like we have them yet. All right. How about any other bugs? Are, are there any new ones that you're kind of watching out for or that you're seeing problems with in other states? Stink bugs, Japanese beetles, any, anything else that we should be thinking of if we see something unusual in our sweep net? Uh, that We do watch for uh, Japanese beetles. We know that they are in uh, some parts of South Dakota, but so far they're primarily urban yet in our state. And uh, 
that's something we will continue to watch for because we know they can cause problems in corn and also soybeans in other states. But uh, so far, we haven't seen them transition to crops in South Dakota. Another one that we have in a neighboring state would be the brown marmorated stink bug, but we also haven't tracked it in a field yet either. But if anybody observes an unusual stink bug or uh, think that maybe they have Japanese beetles, feel free to contact us at SDSU and we'll be happy to either visit the field or I always tell people these days with technology, cell phones can get really good pictures. Feel free to snap a picture and send it our way too because uh, we can identify those pests pretty quickly anymore. So, Yeah, it's awesome to have land-grant universities, to have some great people working in extension. Uh, Adam Varenhorst is just one example. Use those people in your state and in your area to help you out with identification, to to figure out what's going on here, and also to stay on top of these things. It's been kind of nice, Adam, with social media and some of the other outlets that that South Dakota State has, just to to hear in advance, hey, we're seeing this uh, in some other part of the state, just to to give us a heads up, we better be out there scouting. Yes, we... We try to keep active on social media, and we also have our pest and crop newsletter. Uh, so we, we try to stay on top of everything, and a lot of times we'll put, as soon as we observe something, we'll put an article out quick with the identification, and uh, we try to throw some really good pictures because we know that's the biggest challenge. Uh, once you figure out what's out in the field, that makes it a lot easier to determine if you need to manage it or not. So. Uh, that would be another great resource that we, we do on a weekly basis during the growing season. Absolutely. We're talking with Adam Varenhorst here at South Dakota State University. Adam, thank you so much. We'll let you get back to work, but really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Talking alfalfa insects on today's show, but that's not what Gabe wants to talk about. He's got some soil tests. Brian, you want to get to those in a minute? Yep. Okay. Uh, so Gabe said, oh, now in addition to soil tests, he also sent plant tissue tests. So we got some here from 2021 and some already from 2022 to take a look at. Uh, he said, I've got an orchard here, primarily apples and peaches, and nutrition is really the weakness in our operation. So we're working on trying to get better at this. We're obviously deficient in potassium and uh, it just for, for you listening here, Adam's subject on his email was massive K amendment question. Yep. Uh, so here's what he it. wants to get to. He said, we, we got a lot of stuff we're going to do for negating all that. Uh, he said, and we, we've got half of this area tiled and uh, the other half isn't. And, and we're hoping to get that fixed here in the near term as well. But he said, I, I need to put on a bunch of K. I'm just wondering, can I put... 250 pounds on now and the rest after we get some more rain or could i put a 450 pound rate out all in one shot i don't see why you wouldn't be able to put 450 pounds on in one shot and i assume we're talking about potash right is that yep, he said, said potash okay. is his only k source he's got available okay so yeah we, we've done as high as 1400 pounds before and it hasn't hurt anything so nope i would not be worried about that at all and so when when we talk about low Here's the thing. We want the base saturation potassium percentage to be in the 7 to 8% range anytime we're talking about trees. I don't care what kind of tree, 7 to 8% K. He's at 1. He's at 1. So he's got to basically 7x his K level. And yeah, I mean, 450 pounds, that's going to get you a start. That's going to bump it maybe 1 to 2% but got a long ways to go yet. Got to really push that. And so I'll say this too. Anytime you're going to be putting trees in, so let's say you're going to be seeding trees, transplanting trees, whatever, you want that soil really built up. 
and it's it's kind of like raising crops and and so it's the same basic principles we want good levels and balanced soil fertility with everything but with potassium we want to push it even harder than we do in corn and soybeans and wheat because think about what is the tree and what are we most concerned about it's that tree trunk that and so in our crops we call that the stalk well, the number one factor in the stalk or the tree trunk and its health is potassium. So we got to get that taken care of, got to get that addressed. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. Get This one came in from Jay, uh, who's a student at University of Wisconsin-Platteville. Jay said, hey, I'm an intern this summer in an ag business, and I was just wondering about your scouting and scholarships field day. Uh, i I'm wondering, is there a scholarship application or do you just need to see that I am an active college student? So we've got a little form for you to fill out. And yeah, we want you to pre-register. Just go to agphd.com for more information on that. And we can certainly have one of our people follow up with him as well. But it's pretty simple. We're going to have, do you remember now how many scholarships? 50 scholarships? Or yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's a lot. More than it's that. a lot. So, yeah. so a lot of people are going to go home that day with a scholarship. So, so sign up in advance. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. It is the last Saturday in June. It's right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. But this Scouting and Scholarships thing... We're, we're going to bring everybody outside and go through a whole bunch of stations and teach you how to look for things and what to look for in the field, both above ground and below ground. And at the end, we're giving away a whole bunch of scholarships. So it should be a lot of fun. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com.
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking alfalfa insects, but we're now deep in the Ag PhD mailbag. Any agronomic question you've got, we would love to tackle, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Micah, and he said, I got a question for you on pre-emerged soybean products. Uh, if we were using Authority Assist before we pro-tilled, would incorporating it activate the Spartan and the Pursuit that are in it right away, or do you need a rain to really activate this type of chemistry? It would activate it a little bit. Is it going to be perfect? No. And the only way it's going to activate it even to some degree is if there is some moisture in the soil. So to think that it's going to be this fantastic thing, no, but at least you're part of the way there. You're going to get better activity if, let's say, you worked it a little bit more like with a field cultivator is what we use on our farm that definitely helps because now you've placed it into the soil a little bit better when you kind of pack it down a little bit then some moisture will hopefully interact with that herbicide and move it into the the plant but yeah otherwise you're going to need some rain to get really good activity all right thanks for the question Uh, this one comes from lindy up in manitoba canada Uh, After a rough drought last year, this spring has been filled with more moisture than we can think of. While moisture is certainly welcome, our heavy soils are becoming saturated and our seeding, which usually consists of cereals for feed silage, well, it's getting delayed and and most of it likely won't happen until later in June. Uh, My question is, at what point do we start to consider reducing nitrogen rates with our delayed seeding? Frost usually hits us early to mid-October, and with nitrogen prices this year, we don't want to overspend. If yields are going to be reduced to the due to the delayed start, doesn't reducing nitrogen make sense? Absolutely. With nitrogen, it should always be look. You you always want to look at a couple of things here. Well, three in particular. I would say, what do you have for nitrogen to start? How much is your crop going to need? And how much? are you going to get out of that soil through the course of the year through organic matter mineralization? Oh, I guess you should also consider, well, how much are you going to lose too? So if it's real heavy soil, your risk of loss is not nearly as high as somebody who has light soil. If you're in an area that doesn't get lots of rainfall, you know, your risk of loss is a lot less as well. If you have heavy soil, that probably means you have pretty good organic matter in your soil. And the higher organic matter you have, the more nitrogen is going to come for free every year out of that. 
But the big factor here that we're talking about is what's your yield potential? So I just say every day, I think we all can agree on this, that every day now your yield potential is going down. Maybe not a tremendous amount every day, but a little bit every day. So then, of course, you can put on a little bit less nitrogen if you have a little bit lower yield potential. Now, I would say this, don't undersell yourself because if you, we say, yes, nitrogen is at an all-time high price. I agree with that. I'm not happy about it either. We're going to have to spend some money on nitrogen this summer on our crops as well. But I also look at the flip side and say, wow, look at these commodity prices. And quite frankly, I think they could go even higher. I really do. So whether they go higher or they don't, we're still at really good levels today. So we just don't want to lose out on yield because we shorted our crop on nitrogen. And well, a lot of times people get to be really down and it's like, oh, it's the end of the world and I'm not going to raise much crop or anything. Very often, even June planted crops can turn out okay. I'm not saying going to be record yield, but they can turn out sometimes better than we expect. So just don't undersell yourself. All right. Uh, get this in from Sherman. He said, you guys are talking about how long you can store grain. Uh, one variable that I've taken out of the equation is I'm drying my corn down under 12% moisture. Quality stays excellent, even if it's a year old. Yep. Some people say it's a waste of propane, but that's okay. They can have their opinion. Well, it's it's not necessarily opinion. If you're going to hold on to that corn for multiple years, you want it under 12. Our dad was a big believer in that too. He wanted that corn dried down to 12 or less. And when that's the case, you have very little risk for spoilage. So, yep, it does cost you a little bit more on the propane. But the the other big cost that we have to look at is the grain that you're hauling in. If you can haul in 15 or maybe 15 and a half to the elevator with no dock, ideally, you'd want to pump some more moisture back into that crop right before you you bring it in to in for sale. So let's say you were going to hold on to it for two years. You keep it down at that 12% kind of range. If you have bin fan controls, you can, with the humidity just in the air, I'm not saying put water in there, I'm saying pump humid air in there and you can then raise that moisture just in, let's say, the last two, three, four weeks right before you're going to sell it back up to 15 or 15 and a half. Because when you stop and think about it, um, it's a lot of extra dollars that that crop would then be worth just because you put more moisture into it. So I'd at least be considering that at the very end, right before you sell it. All right. Thanks for the comment, Sherman. Really appreciate that. Uh, get a couple of things that came in here on spray tank cleanout. AM said, uh, really appreciate you guys talking about this. Uh, you're right. The person spraying is often really tired by the time they're done and uh, and don't get things cleaned out right away like they should. Uh, I agree, AM. And uh, and then stuff gets stuck on and makes it harder. And then this one came in from MB. He said, I've been watching Ag PhD over 10 years. I've always enjoyed it, learned quite a bit. I like the way you guys are breaking down topics to basic elements, making them easy to understand and taking the fear out of trying things. Uh, I'm working in a Christmas tree farm in Michigan and given me, given us some great ideas here over the years and given us confidence to try new things and uh, especially when it comes to soils and fertility. When when you bring that up, when he brings that up, confidence in trying new things. A lot of times when 
you look at your neighbors or uh, just other people around that you read about or something and you're like, oh man, I mean, these guys know what they're doing and I, I bet they don't make a lot of mistakes. Look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody. And we make lots of them. But our goal, quite frankly, is to make a tremendous amount of mistakes. I think quite often about Thomas Edison. Okay, he was one of the greatest inventors in the history of the world. Well, do you know how many times he failed? He failed way more than he ever succeeded. And he just kept failing, 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 but he learned at every step of the way. And the big thing is, and it's just like our dad always used to say, the difference between farmers who are successful and those who aren't is the size of their mistakes. You want to make mistakes because that's how you learn. You just have to make them on a small scale. Don't be putting the, the whole farm into some brand new venture, some brand new thing you've never tried before. That's a recipe for disaster in a lot of cases. But on the flip side, if we aren't trying one, two, five, eight, twelve new things every year on the farm, how are we going to get ahead? So, yes, by all means, we'd really encourage you try new stuff and just understand everybody makes mistakes. There's nothing to, to worry about with that. That's just the way it goes. It's part of learning. But with that, then we can hopefully, we can all hopefully be more successful in the future. And this is part of why we like doing Ag PhD, because then we can share our mistakes and the mistakes that we have learned from other people that we've worked with over the years. And we got a whole bunch of mistakes and a whole bunch of things we can talk to you about, things you don't want to do. And hopefully then that helps you be more successful in the future. All right, thanks for the question. Okay, got a couple here around testing, and uh, this one came from Grant. He said, which testing lab are you using for your soil work? Uh, we're up in Canada. Can we send to the same lab, or what should we look for in a lab? And then another one, Aaron said, pre-side dress nitrate test. Where do you guys send those? How many of those do you pull in per field and so forth? Okay, two completely different questions. I would answer the first one in terms of the lab. We, we send our stuff into Midwest Labs in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, the reason we do a couple of things. First of all is the consistency. Um, we, we, we can send, basically, we can take a sample, split it in multiples, send it in different dates, whatever, and we, we get similar results. So that's really what we're after. But the other big thing is just they do so many samples, and they've got a good process. So we like that part. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of other good labs out there. It's just Midwest is the biggest one. And we've worked with them for lots and lots of years. So that that's worked out well. Obviously, price ha has an impact too. So we're, we're taking a look at price. We want something reasonable. Okay, so for the nitrate question, normally we only do two or three samples per field, if that. And we just say, oh, okay, we got kind of an average. We got an idea what's going on. But this year, we have so much income potential and super high nitrogen prices. So we're probably going to do six to eight samples per field. And I mean, just more extensive. And the tests only cost five bucks. We just think it'll be worth it this year. In our 30-inch rows, a lot of times we will go every three inches and then just move across. That way, if there were any bands out there, you could uh, sniff that out and kind of average things out for your crop, too. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.